Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recover Everything podcast, where we have honest discussions about everything in recovery. I'm your host, Chris West. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media, Goopla, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe and listen to us on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that good stuff. On today's episode, we have Joseph Ingle. This guy is a certifiable superhero, in my opinion. I mean, he's out there doing the hard work. He's involved in a number of recovery groups, recovery foundations. I mean, the man got a recovery high school built to help kids. This guy's saving lives, lots of lives. Uh, It's very inspiring. During the episode, Joseph goes into detail about his life, uh, his recovery, some tragedy. This episode was amazing and extremely inspiring. My co-host today is Dr. Sarah Shonian. Enjoy. Cover Everything podcast. On today's episode, we have Joseph Ingle. Yes. Hello. And my co-host today is Dr. Sarah Shonian. Hi, everybody. Joseph. Yes. You are uh, involved with the There Is No Hero for Heroin Foundation. Yes? There is no hero in heroin. There's no hero in heroin. Tin high for short. It's kind of a mouthful. Yeah. T-I-N-H-I-H. And people ask me all the time, what the hell is tin high? Mm-hmm. That's the acronym because there is no hero and heroin is awfully a mouthful. So before we get into the foundation, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, we came to Las Vegas when I was 10 years old with my mother and father. I'm the youngest of five kids. We moved here in 1978 and I was 10 years old. So you saw Vegas change. A lot. A lot. I mean, it was, I wouldn't call it a one- road town then but it wasn't far from it there was no 95 Rain- yeah. rainbow was 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 95 yeah going out of town i grew up out on the craig road and toy pines area mm. oh i live over there right now which was absolutely horse country at the time mm-hmm. there was my neighbors had horses yeah and See. i remember when the meadows mall got built Oof. the new meadows mall the, the new the new mall. It was the new mall. Is it still the new mall to you? I think they call it the ghetto's mall. Right. <laughs> no You're college. Me. No college. I, uh, I I I my mother passed away when I was fourteen. Right when I started using. I'm I'm a person in long term recovery, so I'll okay. qualify right out the gate. Um, started smoking marijuana at a very very young age, fourteen, mm-hmm. when my mother passed away, and my father, who died at fifty three years old of cirrhosis of the liver. So oh, was he, he a drinker? He was alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um. And after my mother passed away, he just his main goal was to get the rest of his kids through high school, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I did. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, you know, brilliant man. Um, and he passed away two weeks before my first son was born. That's rough. That's rough. At the time, I was twenty four when he passed away. So I spent basically from you know from high school to twenty four just doing what whatever I could to make me feel better, mm-hmm. and it often involved drugs and alcohol. When did you start to notice that that wasn't um, a good pathway for you? When when did you start to notice how detrimental it was? Oh, relatively early. Uh, I, I, I got sober at 26, and I would say the last three to four years of my drinking and using, I was identifying with what they talk about in, in, in the literature that I read, you know, the, the, the unhappy drinkers, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I was... Certainly there around 22, 23. So you were that unhappy at that young age? Yeah. Where did that unhappiness come from? Was it the, the, the loss of your father? Um, my mother was the one who passed away f- first when I was 14. Okay. So maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, I believe I, I, I carry the alcoholic gene. And, okay. uh, and, 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 and oftentimes before people start drinking and using, they find... A level of uneasiness, mm-hmm. you know, you know, not fitting in, not, you know, 
real, you know, thinking that everybody else has the answers and nobody, you know, gave them to me. Right. I felt different early on. From a very, very young age, you know. It, it, I can it, definitely relate to that. Yeah, That's, I was just going to say, as are we. <laughs> a story uh, that I, ha- I can remember young, eight, nine years old, seven, eight, nine. I was with my older brother. We, I was the youngest. I said the youngest of five boys. My older, next oldest brother and I, we were the little boys. So we always shared a room together. And he was a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. My mother got him a Dallas Cowboys jacket. And we were living in New Jersey at the time. I never had any opinions about that football. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, and, and he's eight years old and yeah. he's picking that. He's, he was diehard. And, and she got me the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. And it was the exact same jacket. Right, right. Just one was the yeah. Cowboys, one was Giants, and I'm looking at his like his was better. Yeah. So I, right I out the gate, really and you remember that, like that sticks something, out to you. Where's mine? Right. What about me? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know where that comes from. I, I certainly don't. I I've been in recovery long enough to know that that it's indicative from other people that that are in recovery. Do you think it's uh, something to do with being a younger, the youngest of just kind of? <laughs> yeah. You know, it could be. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was the youngest uh, up until my father uh, re, remarried, uh, and then she had two younger kids. But So then it, it was the youngest in the middle, and I definitely remember, like, oh, they get the attention, and mm-hmm. then my older brother is, like, the apple of everybody's eye. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a constant, like, what, what, about, what about me? <laughs> Where's mine? Where's right. mine? Um, do you think you grew out of it? To a point. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I certainly uh, uh, I work the the program of recovery, so I'm I'm getting a little better. Mm-hmm. You know, there's pl- still room for growth. Always. Do you think that it was more challenging then to get sober at such a young age, maybe than it would have been now in terms of resources? Or I mean, I think it's really normalized when you're in that age period to be using excessively. So what were what were those challenges like for you? Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I I always thought I drank differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I remember hanging out with some of my older cousins who lived in Southern California. We would go visit them. I was sixteen, and mm-hmm. they were like nineteen or twenty. They played rock music. They were cool, right. and I wasn't. And um, when I'd see them once a year, and then every year I'd get a little older, and I and I remember drinking, mm-hmm. just slamming beers with these, you know, with my older cousins, and they're like, they looked at me like, why do you drink like that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know. Right. Like it's going, like it's not going to be there. I didn't yeah. know that that was like a question. Right I didn't mm-hmm. know you didn't drink that way. Right. I thought that was what you did. Cause I know that all of the inhibitions that I had as a young kid, whew, they were all gone as soon as I started drinking mm-hmm. uh, immediately. And I liked the way I felt. Right. So what sparked the need to want to get sober? Well, like as I said, I mean, I would go back and forth. Certainly. I, I mean, I would cause a lot of damage. I end mm-hmm. up in jail. You know, between 20 and 21, I ended up in jail half a dozen times, all drink, all drinking related. Mm-hmm. Fighting and whatnot. Yeah, stupid. Just stupid. Um, everyone, one one of the stories is, is that I didn't get in trouble every time I drank, but every time I'd been in trouble, I'd been drinking. Right. You know, so I identified with that. And then my oldest brother, who was three years ahead of me in, 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 in a program of recovery, and I saw him get sober. What was that like? I was losing my drinking buddy. So mm-hmm. I did not like him yeah. <laughs> and I wanted him to fail. Right. Right. You know, I was unhappy and unhappy drinker and I didn't want to lose, lose that. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it turns out he was a great model for me. So that probably drove me the quickest in, into recovery was watching him, you know, yeah. one more time I lost one more job. I crashed one more car mm-hmm. and finally he, you know, he kicked me out and said, you got to go. And I had nowhere to go. And so he said, you know, you're going to have to get your act together and, I started going to a 12-step abstinence-based program. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you know a couple of weeks of doing that, he let me get move back in. I got a job, and I started paying child support. And in that time, I had children that were born from two different mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't allowed to see any of them. I had three three small children, three small boys with two two mothers. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to see any of them. So my, my older brother just said, you know, why don't you get sober? I got sober, and then he, he moved me. Moved me let me move back into his house. I got a job and I started meeting people in recovery who taught me how to become responsible and to become a man, actually. Can you tell us about one of those lessons? Like something you may have learned? Well, go to work like like you're being of service. Mm-hmm. You know, go to work, you know, do your job. Yeah. Right. Simple stuff. Yeah. Simple stuff that I didn't know really applied. Mm-hmm. I, I, for some reason, the where's my attitude 
kind of had a chip on my shoulder. You know, certainly, you know, sure. I, I lost my mom at a young age. You know what I mean? So why me? Why me? You know, and so the world owes me so for whatever mm-hmm. reason. The universe owes me or something. And 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 so, so the lessons is are you know simple. You know, go to work like you're being of service. Right. Pay your child support. Right. Pick up your kids. Simple, simple stuff. Mm-hmm. But difficult. <laughs> simple and easy are not the same. Right. No. <laughs> you know, I heard I heard another one. It's a, you know unloading a truck full of manure is relatively simple. Yeah. But not easy. No. So easy and simple are, 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 are not the same. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I like that. After you got sober. I, 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 I started working. I started working, paying child support. Um, did you remain active in the recovery community? Absolutely. I did for the first three years, I, you know, in, in the 12-step abstinence-based community. You know, then, there's it, all sorts of service work to do. And that means like going to meetings. Going to meetings, being a be, service. Being mm-hmm. a sponsor. Being just, a sponsor. Um, going to learning the book, you know, learning right. the, the literature, being able to, you know, being someone who can carry a message and, you know, not carry a mess. So explain that, like being able to carry a message and not carry a mess. Well, certainly there's plenty of people there's, there's in the rooms of um, where there's a lot that's not going around. That's good. Um, so if For it's, example, <laughs> well, the way, they, naming any names, the way they treat people, certainly the way you treat people, um, okay. you can't take advantage of people when they're new. Okay. Certainly, that's a big one, and 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 that happens. You know, there's plenty of predators in all walks of life. Sure. Um. So you you, you want to make sure that someone walks it like they talk it, because people can have a great program for one hour out of the day, and then and be shitty. The, the other twenty three hours out of the day is what really makes it. Man, if you don't have a program behind closed doors, you don't really have a program. You know, that's it. so 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 stuff like that. You know, I mean, um, and 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 moving along from from that. One of my son's mothers decided that I was okay to hang out with again. She came mm-hmm. over for a weekend and she got pregnant again. So I thought certainly this was God's will and God mm-hmm. wanted me to be a family man because deep down all I ever really wanted to be was a family man. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother, you know, had he was always driven, my, my, my closest brother, not, not, not the oldest one. My closest brother was always driven and I never, I never was. But um, I found out that, you know, instinctively that, that I could be a dad. Yeah. That's really, that's really what I wanted to be. So I thought since she was pregnant and I was sober, um, my other son's mother got into trouble with her, she, you, know, you know, with herself and, and, and the kids, and I ended up getting custody of them. Mm-hmm. So I go from being a single guy in AA, going to work, paying child support, picking up kids for ice cream on the weekends to, you know, being married with a newborn uh, and a Two other kids, three other. Three, three I was like, kids. yeah, that's number four, right? Yeah, it's number four. Wow. So, wow. How old were you then? When when all when all, when it all came together? Twenty eight. Oh, you were young. Mm-hmm. Twenty eight. Wow. Twenty eight. Young dad. And and it was crazy, you know. And some of the best times growing up and broke, you know, mm-hmm. and being a boy club dad, coaching basketball, soccer, pit, you know, baseball. You know, there was nights out of the week where I'd have to be a Three different baseball practices, all within thirty minutes of wow. one another. You know, yeah. and in between my wife and I, we would handle it, and, and it was crazy. And we were always had a baby in tow, <laughs> you know, because he the, the, he's five years. You know, the youngest is five years. The other three are real close together, so they mm-hmm. were all kind of like running like a pack. So the young one was always Adam was always running with the pack. Mm-hmm. He ended up becoming a little more mature for his age, quicker, yeah. quicker. He, he wanted to keep up. Yeah. Are you still married to the same woman now? I am not. Okay. That marriage dissolved, and so mm-hmm. what? So what gave me? Actually, what what the program recovery gave me actually mm-hmm. pulled me further away from it. And mm-hmm. I didn't drink or use, but I I went somewhat <laughs> crazy in sobriety. I wasn't fun to live with, and, mm-hmm. and and she and I grew apart. That marriage lasted for six years, mm-hmm. and towards the end of that marriage, it it got very difficult. Where you know she was raising two step kids. God bless her. Yeah. You know, and and. There was a time when she was thinking, you know, well, maybe these kids really aren't, you know, these, well, she knows that these kids aren't hers. So I would think that she would be treating them differently and then mm-hmm. we would cause a fight here, you know. So it got, it got tough. And then um, I was, I was dry. I wasn't sober at the time. Right. Um, so I, I threw myself back into the 12 step program. What, what does that mean, dry? Good question. Uh, dry means not drinking. For an alcoholic of, of, of my type, not drinking is really the problem. Not, I mean, drinking has problems of its own, uh-huh. you know, car wrecks, jails, sure. stuff like that, loss of jobs. 
But not drinking, I can't stand mm. me. I can't stand the way I feel. I don't know who I am. I don't like me. So, But when I drink, all that goes away. Okay. So that's my solution at the time, to drink. To drink. To drink, because it takes all of that away. Okay. So if I'm not drinking, I still have all of those fears. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my my biggest fear is that I'm not enough, and you're going to find out. Okay. So when I'm not drinking, that's all over me. That's dry. It's like white, like white knuckling it. White knuckling it. They're not very pleasant people to be around. Right. <laughs> somebody yeah. who's somebody who's found a solution mm-hmm. in recovery, in order to nurture that that mm-hmm. that solution, it, it takes it, it takes time and energy to do that. Yeah, I'm not in recovery. Uh, I have family members that. I mean, my mom is a. An addict an at active this, addiction. an active addiction. Mm-hmm. So I kind of started this podcast to figure things out. Sure. I worked in recovery, yada, yada, yada. Um, so this term dry uh, is new to me. And what I think you're saying is that if you don't nurture the, uh, the steps or the process or the pathway to being sober, you're not necessarily sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, physically, you are. Physically, but not, physically, but, but, not but not mentally and spiritually. So, what what would be your definition then of recovery to di- to distinguish the difference between just not drinking? Because I don't really think it's ever about just the drugs or the alcohol. But how would you distinguish the difference? In a word, it would be other centered. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. explain it to me, Sarah. Other centered. What do you? What does that mean to I'm, you? N- uh, people are self centered. Okay. What about me? What about mine? Where's where's mine? Other centered is to put other people first, okay, and and to actually genuinely have that come from within, not 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 just you know I mean it's a good way to start. I mean in order to, I can't do that on my own in and of myself. I, I I cannot do that. I have to learn that. It's learned behavior, and the more I practice it, the more I nurture it, the more it becomes working part of my mind. Mm-hmm. So becoming other centered, caring, empathy, empathetic. There, there there's a lot that that goes along with that. Was it a struggle to to switch, to to learn that? Did it feel foreign? Certainly foreign, absolutely. Yeah, that that's not a natural disposition. That's not that's not my. If if you restore your phone to factory default, you go back to factory defaults. You restore mm-hmm. me to my factory default. You know, I'm restless. But um, most people tend not to actually mention the, <laughs> the literature that I read. Yeah, you know, go. they talk about um, being restless, irritable, and discontented. That's a natural state of being. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I have that. Mm-hmm. So when I find myself now becoming restless, irritable, and discontented, uh, you know, I, I, I can stop and take a look and take inventory and see what's going on in my life and, and where, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, you know, an easy one to remember is halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If I'm hungry, am I hungry? You know, that, that's, a good, that's a good measuring measuring tape, you know. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Right. And if I am any one of those... I can do something, and then that generally is a good start in checking whether or not. So I can understand what you do when you're hungry and you're tired. You sleep or you eat, but angry and what was the other one? Lonely, lonely, hungry, angry, lonely. How you fix those? Lonely, you call someone. Mm -hmm. You know, for twelve step programs, you go to a meeting. There's people around there. And angry. Uh, some people say count to 10. Some people say take a breath, you know, break, you know, go, go, go for a walk. You just take yourself out of a situation. Angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angry. You can just remove yourself from a situation mm-hmm. that's making you angry. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a fair amount of things you could do. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure the doctor certainly <laughs> can, can, can weigh in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that anger is something that's difficult for everyone, but it's like that for me, the, the HALT acronym is really like the anger piece is something that's like a really strong emotion. So an anger is typically a really, really strong emotion that we feel. So it's just kind of maintaining a level of self-awareness enough to cope in advance or to remove yourself from the situation or to figure out some sort of way to regulate your emotions, like count to 10, take a deep breath or whatever it is that works for you mm-hmm. in that moment to regulate mm-hmm. it. Anything, really. Because I think the whole halt thing is a very self-aware thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to pay attention to your body. Yeah. You're, you're, you're dry, you, you said, like, get towards the end of this marriage, right? You, you said you were dry. Correct. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, meetings. For me, it was meetings. I, I threw myself back into my program of recovery. Um, the marriage dissolved. I, That's got to be rough. I, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... I ended up getting custody of my kids. 
they they lived with me for Monday through Friday. You know, I was more stable at the time. I and um, they would go to their mother's houses on the weekends, and then they became teenagers, mm-hmm. and then I was outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> I was outnumbered, and 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 certainly I, I I had changed careers at the time. I was working in construction on the strip. Chances for overtime. You got to keep the bills paid because they need internet. They need mm-hmm. to eat. You know, they they need all that. What stuff. year was this? Right. Oh, early two thousand six, ninety six, oh six, oh six, oh four, oh six. You know, the big boom, mm-hmm. big construction yeah. boom, and you know, I a lot of good times. I mean, certainly, right. you know, I mean, unbelievable times in my life. You know, it was difficult though to to manage four, four. You start getting phone calls from the schools they're mm-hmm. attending. It starts with the teachers, and and then it starts. Then it goes to the counselor calls, and then the and once you get dean calls, assistant right. principal calls, and you know it's something's really bad. Mm-hmm. So maybe something that listeners might be interested in is, is how do you how do you talk to your kids about being in the, the program? I was very very open. I I, w- I would attend open meetings, and I would bring them. And there's meetings that you know. For, for kids of of uh, alcoholics, and, there are uh, yeah yeah there are. Um, there's meetings for them, and I would take them to you know I would take them, and then they'd go to their meeting, and I'd, I'd go to my meeting, and and we had a very very open mm-hmm. open relationship. And um, when I when my oldest was 14, I picked him up from his friend's house. It was New Year's Eve, and they were late getting back. I you know they weren't where they were supposed to be, and I was I had my young one in the back of the van, and and I was so angry at out of all, all of this because I had to get up early the next day. And this is New Year's Eve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I come to find out when my oldest son was trying to put the key in the door, he couldn't get put the key in the door. And it's like two o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, man, he's drunk right here in front of me. Mm-hmm. When did my kid get drunk? You know. And and then it and then it went and then it was on. And at that time, I, I unbeknownst to me, you know, I I my Drug addiction is limited to, I mean, it's, it's extensive, but um, the drugs that are out now, opioids were, were not out. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe they were, they just never were in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, they became, you know, addicted, you know, they started recreationally using Lortabs, right. Vicodin, you know, opioids. How did they get a hold of this stuff? School? Mm-hmm. School? Yeah, no school, high school. Uh, so they, you said he was 14 when you first 14. found out? And he was your oldest. Yes. Hmm. My two oldest were very close in age, and they would use together. And uh, I mean, especially you used to take them to these meetings. They they obviously had some information. Yes, sir. What do you do at that point? I <laughs> I go to work. Yeah. I, I I I take them to counselors. Mm-hmm. I I. I pick them up at a juvenile hall when they get arrested in juvie, you know, mm-hmm. and they start doing graffiti. And raising teenagers is tough anyways. Right. All boys, right? All boys. Yeah. Adolescence is, is brutal. And, um, yeah, he just, you survive it. I remember going down to a convention down in Laughlin, and one of the speakers had, had mentioned that they would, uh, that they survived the, all you know, them, her and her husband, and all their kids survived the teenage years, and I laughed, and everybody laughed, and they thought it was funny. And, mm-hmm. and then, as my story goes, I lost my oldest son to a heroin overdose some years later, and so I, I didn't. So, the teenage years are absolutely, absolutely tough, and I was yeah. tired. I was tired, and um, trying to manage as, as their my two oldest boys' addictions progressed. You know, I, I would run around town in the middle of the night trying to find my kids mm-hmm. and wonder where they were. And I taught them how to be self-sufficient, how to ride the bus at a young age. So they were, they effectively were able to run away from me right. <laughs> and, and actually be too, gone. Too street smart. <laughs> yeah. They got, and they would hang out together and they were good kids. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they were, you know, good athletes, you know, all of them were in gate, you know, very, very high intelligence and very personable. Um, they, they, they all are. So as, as, as it goes, when, um, July 21st, 2011, I came home to find my oldest son dead of a heroin overdose and he was 19 years old. Wow. I can't, I can't even imagine. I'm sure you get that a lot. I mean, I don't know how often you, you speak about this. I talk about it every chance I get. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. That's the reason for me being in front of you today. Wow. Fair enough. Um, How do you um, cope with that? My program of recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly that is the only thing that, that, that that's ever. And, and, and also the, the organization, there is no heroin, heroin foundation. That is an outlet. Right. That's an energy, you know, that that's a way to move my grief into action. Right. Actionable. So, and, you know, so I've, I got a call from the white house about three years ago. Wow. <laughs> um, from Obama? From, from or- USDA secretary <laughs> Vilsack. Yeah. His, he, he he was in town three years ago mm-hmm. for Governor Sandoval's opioid prescription drug summit, mm-hmm. and I had written an email to Obama, and um, he's on Facebook, you know, he just mm-hmm. he writes something to Obama, and, and I got a, a few, few months later, I got a letter in the mail with Obama's stamp signature. I, I don't know if it was his or not, and then um, apparently, you know, they actually they 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 mentioned my email and some of the stuff that I wrote in there. They mentioned it. In, in, in the letter they sent me, I thought that was great. And about six months later, I got a phone call from the White House Office of Correspondence, and they said Secretary Vilsack was coming in town, and she'd like to meet me. Wow. So I got to sit across the table from him, as close as I am to you. Mm-hmm. I got to talk about my son, Reese, and he, you know, share my story, and he got to share his story about his mom and his, you know, his, you know, she was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So we got to share and connect. So there's a level of connectivity that, that, that we've been able to find. So that's another way to... to to cope is, is is to realize that I'm not the only one that, right. you know, this addiction doesn't discriminate. You know, one in three people are affected right. from what I understand um, one way or another, mm-hmm. whether it's family member or, or themselves. So, I mean, this might be a, a rough question. You come home, you said July 21st. 21st. Um, I'm only asking this because um, maybe it might help somebody else. Um I don't know. Is there maybe something you saw, like saw beforehand, that you you wish you may have caught? I, I know regret is a huge thing, and you can't live in that space where it's like, like, what if? But maybe there's something you can say to somebody else that's that's dealing with a, a, a parent or a child mid active addiction. Uh, well, I, I mean, I get it. it you know that it, it's, it's a hard question. It's yeah. hard to bring up. It's yeah. hard to talk about. Um, parents, you know, I just recently, just last week, my son's been, been gone for, you know, he's passed away seven years now. And I just recently went last week to a grief counselor. So uh, I may be just now starting to process my grief. Um, Understandable. I've only ever moved. I've only been going forward for, for the past seven years. And, um, what I would say to somebody is don't give up. Certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's things that I said to my son that I would never, that I can never take back. Um, that, that I can never make right. And when he was on medically assisted treatment at the time and he was on methadone, I, I, I told him he wasn't really clean and I didn't accept that. And, and I would never do that again. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that completely changed the way that I look towards medically assisted treatment at this point. You know, I, I, I support it. I'm a member of the Southern Nevada Harm Reduction Alliance. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I believe in that stuff. So if, if your kid wants to go on medically assisted treatment, Say yes, you know, um, tough love kills. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I think that's a bad, bad idea. And that's tough a, love. Tough love. I mean, I've heard that from a lot of parents. You know, I kicked him out on the street and, and that's it. Well, mm-hmm. you know. I, there's it, consequences. Then. There's consequences. You know, if I had a chance to do it all over again, which I did. My other son, who's just now six months clean today. Or, I mean, he's right around six months clean right now. It's not his first time being sober. Um, you know, that's a difficult dilemma to be in, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would keep him with me and I was enabling him. And so what does enabling look at? I mean, there's no easy answer. It's a case by case issue, sure. mm-hmm. but, um, don't be mean right. to parents. Cause there's things that you can never take back. And, um, I mean, there's for, for me that I can never take back. So I, I, I just think that we're all here certainly for a short amount of time, give or take. 50 or so years in my son's case and many others, I would never um, treat somebody the way I wouldn't want to be treated. You know, and these are simple stories like I talked about earlier, simple, simple suggestions that that don't really seem to land until I'm ready to hear them. These, you know, these lessons, you know, same, same with some listeners, I'm sure. My, my son Reese was my greatest teacher. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's, Reese was the one who's passed away and he's Reese. Reese. 
like the peanut butter cup. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we we, we said his name. He was, you know, he 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 taught me to to pay attention and to be aware because he was always in the moment. I mean, I mean, God, the, the program of recovery that I that I work, you know, is 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 very God centered. Um, and, and God is in the moments. He's, he, he's not, he's never tomorrow. He's never next week. He's never yesterday. He's right now. God's only ever here right now. And that, and that, that's the lesson that I want to hear. You know, that's the lesson that I, that, that's the message that I want to help share, you know, with other people, you know, when, if, if you're a parent struggling with your kid, God's, God's with us, with you at that time, you're talking to your kid. Not yesterday or tomorrow. No. no. It's, it's right there and there. I mean, it, it, even if they're saying horrendous stuff to you, mm-hmm. even if they're pushing your buttons, you know, God's with them right there and with you and, and, and certainly, you know, all around. Another maybe rough question. Did you have any thoughts of relapse after your son's? No, it, uh, that, that, that wasn't just overwhelmed with grief, mm-hmm. overwhelmed with um, immo- immobility. Mm-hmm. You know, I just found I couldn't move. I couldn't think and I couldn't, I I just couldn't move. And that's where, you know, the, my friends and family really came to my rescue. I had, a, I had a very clear, very close friend. He would just come and sit with me. I was smoking at the time. He would just come sit with me and he'd sit in the garage. We'd sit in the garage for hours and I wouldn't say a word to him. And we'd just mm-hmm. sit there and be, you know. In the quiet. In the quiet. That's a good I'd, friend. I'd smoke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd smoked a lot of cigarettes, mm-hmm. but um, I miss cigarettes. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> How long has it been since you stopped smoking cigarettes? I, I this time is about three years. Mm. Huh. I got a uh, two. Yeah, right on. Yeah. After your your son's tragic death, uh, it, did that lead you into the no hero? Ten high. Ten high. Yes. Um, I sat around after the first year, I sat around my kitchen with a couple of other parents who all had heroin addiction touch their lives. One friend of mine lost his son, another friend of mine, her son was currently using at the time. And, um, we decided we wanted to help. What was help going to look like? What would we do? We, how'd you guys meet? Just through, just through. Oh, friends. Um, one one guy I worked with, and one I I volunteered. I used to volunteer for the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life. Mm-hmm. The very great event. Um, do you guys know about uh, that event? No. I, I lost my mother to to cancer. So, mm-hmm. about you know before Reese had passed away, um, I had started volunteering for for ACS American Cancer Society, and Relay for Life was an overnight. Um, relay where we would have groups of 10 people. They would, we, we would all stay at a foothills high school and we all had a little fundraiser that we'd do. And we'd all keep somebody on the lap for like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I cooked Philly cheesesteaks and stuff. And, um, we had a stage and they had, you know, every hour on the hour, they had some other act come up. It was a lot, it was a fun night, you know, big camp out with, you know, a couple thousand people. Um, and I, and I, I had met her through, through doing that. And, and we bonded because our, because of our children. Mm-hmm. And um, so we sat and, you know, the first thing that we decided to put together was a, a community yard sale. We were to be a part of a community yard sale and we asked for donations and we raised $800 wow. and we took five out of that and gave it to the, one of the sober living houses in town, halfway houses, they call mm-hmm. them. And um, said, please award this 500, you know, sober living scholarship to a, to a, somebody just, just leaving treatment. Mm-hmm. We figured, you know, 30 days, is a good start. Yeah. It's it's a foundation that that they could build upon, and mm-hmm. and then hopefully you know, and that was something tangible that we could say we did, you know. So since then, every little bit counts. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've given over thirty two thousand dollars away in sober living scholarships to just, various scholarships. Just doing these, them. these our fundraisers are different. Fundraisers. We do golf tournaments now, mm-hmm. shooting tournaments, and stuff like that, and we get private donations from people. Um, you like golf? No, can't stand it. I was shooting. I played. Ten- I don't. I, first time I ever shot a shotgun. He's like, still no. <laughs> no, I don't do that either. First time I ever shot a shotgun was at our event, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. Just kind of like skeet shooting. Yeah, you know. I've but, shot a gun like twice in my life. Oh, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a lot of fun. It, it's a. Uh, out, out in Boulder City, they have these these golf carts, you know, and you just, it sounds dangerous. But right. It already sounds dangerous. I was like, wait a second. I thought the golf tournament and the shooting one were separate. It's, it's like golf, but with shotguns. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, so they have all these 10 different shooting stations. You get this little credit card thing that you put into the machine mm-hmm. and, and that gives you your four plays per station. And and it's it's run just like a golf tournament where, the, you know, but 
you go out with just shotguns instead of the golf clubs. So you started raising this money. We started giving to sober living houses. At the time, Narcan, Naloxone, the mm-hmm. anti-overdose medication was illegal. Um, and now it's like very prevalent. Now it's very prevalent. At the time, I testified at Senate Bill 459, which was the Good Samaritan Law mm-hmm. in the Narcan Law. And then it was also a prescription What's this Good program. Samaritan Law? If you're using with somebody and they start to overdose, you can call the cops and without fear of being mm-hmm. arrested yourself or having paraphernalia. Okay. You're saving someone's life. You're a good Samaritan. Okay. So so that so that got enacted at the same time. Um, we started having this black... Well, well, I reached out on Facebook um, with, with with my group of uh, parents, and, and I ran into, a, on Facebook, a place called There Is No Heroin Heroin. Jan Nargi, Tucson, Arizona. Her son, I don't know if he's currently using. I, I think he's probably still clean on medically assisted mm-hmm. treatment. Um, she had written a book. She was a single mother with two sons and uh, called There's No Heroin Heroin. And she started a little group and she asked what I want to start a group here in Las Vegas. And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what, what we started with that. And um, she had one of the requirements for us to, to do this was to, to run a Black Monday well, what is Black Monday? Black Monday was basically a symposium where she had invited elected officials and some parents, and she did a big balloon release, and she had a couple of people up at the podium, and she did that in Tucson, Arizona, and she envisioned it to be like a a worldwide event for it to catch on. And and so so it, this was back in 2012, 13, and we ended, so we started doing that up here, you know, so with our golf tournaments and shooting tournaments and Naloxone stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I I I had brought in a lady from California who went and spoke at our at our second event and, and it, when it was still illegal to carry naloxone. And I had a judge on on the panel as well for our symposium. And mm-hmm. this lady from California brought up and she told us about how great because California was way ahead of us at the time and they she was a naloxone trainer. And so she and I envisioned her coming and training us and showing us how to do it and um. She brought a little vial of uh, naloxone with her. And she got arrested. She, the judge made a cute remark. He says, you know, Loretta, this is still illegal in this state. So everybody got a big laugh mm-hmm. from the podium and she didn't get arrested. But um, it, it, was a, it, was, it was a funny time for our day. And the next year, we were able to, to say Senate Bill 459 had passed. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we were able to, you know, so we said that, you know, we want to see naloxone. Then the next year, the naloxone was in. And then that next year. Naloxone is what they do the Narcan training with. Naloxone and Narcan, it, it, it just depends if it's a mist or if it's a liquid. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the same same medicine. Okay. It's just how it's uh, applied. Administered. Yeah. Administered, yeah. I have some upstairs. I'll show you. Okay. And, yeah. then, <laughs> and then that that, that year that year that we were um, announcing that Naloxone was actually legal, now I made a remark that I'd like to see a recovery high school come into Las That's Vegas. That's where I was going to next, yes. And then 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 I ran into a couple of people who helped make that happen. We, Explain we, to me the idea of this uh, high school. It's a recovery well, high school. I watched a movie called The Anonymous People with Greg Williams. Um I started following him on Facebook, and the, is it a documentary? It's, yeah, documentary. I have it. You can borrow it. And a real quick synopsis of that is, is that there's a program of recovery that that works. Why don't we scream about it from, from the r- rooftops instead of putting it down in church basements? Which mm-hmm. is, um, and is that's this, kind of the crux. Is of this that. the unnamed process that you're talking about? The anonymous people is mm-hmm. yeah. That, this correct. process that you're talking about that we should scream from. We, the we should mm-hmm. talk about this. So, and, and, and is this the one that. He gives, can't name. He gives the 12 step programs that, you know, right. they're due in the movie and mm-hmm. says, you know, this is great, but let's move from there. Right. It's like a, a level up basically. So I think people kind of culturally started to come out of the, the darkness or the church basements a little bit pre war on drugs, like celebrities were coming out and stuff. And the movie does a really good job. I think of talking about kind yeah. of that process. And then the war on drugs happened and that kind of, shut people down yeah. again, culturally afraid and more ashamed to say that they were in recovery or that they had this history of addiction or addiction in their family. And it kind of stopped that process. So it felt like you had to kind of start over again after that. Helping, helping to, to mm-hmm. build the stigma right. associated with it, you know? And, and so a lot of people wouldn't talk about it. So that was the crux of that mm-hmm. movie. So I, I, I thought this guy was brilliant. I, I, I started following him and, and he, he came up with a movie called Generation Found, which was a documentary that he produced that is about uh, 
Archway Academy, which is the largest recovery high school in in. So the there's multiple of these recovery. It's over 30, 37. So explain so. to me what an actual recovery high school is. It's got equal levels of, of academia and recovery, you so, know, and still still the same same uh, um, curriculum that any secondary high school would have. Is it? Is, do you have to pay to go to these high schools? Are they Ma- many, many. Yeah, the ones that that are that that are popular, the, the, this one that this movie was based upon is a private school. But so this Mission High is not. Mission High School is not. Okay, so, so that's, that's what's fun. different about Mission High School. There mm-hmm. are a few publicly funded recovery high schools. And um, is this for people that uh, were in recovery and now go to high school, or is, or can anybody go to these? It's for kids strictly for Clark County School District Mission High School, strictly for Clark County School District students, ninth through twelfth grade. But do they have to have some substance abuse? They have to. They have to be will. They have to have substance abuse disorder. Okay, which is what we like to call it. And you know, and they have to be working a program of recovery. It's not the bad kids juvenile delinquent school. You get caught with a bag of dope and you go to the, that school. You know, that's you know, it's a loving, nurturing environment that actually really you know stresses recovery. And this question is maybe because I don't know what are the numbers like of. Kids that are 13, ninth grade, dealing well, with recovery. When we brought out, we we brought out the they're, they're astronomical. Um, oh. I think I I, I I I should know this better, but um, I think with the population here in Las Vegas, if if it's uh, one in ten, I think it was roughly ten to twelve thousand kids that are in Las Vegas that that in the greater Las Vegas area that could probably. Benefit, benefit from, from a mm-hmm. program like this. The yeah. average age of first use now is eight years old. <laughs> That's crazy. And the that younger that you intense. are, the more impact it has yeah. on your brain. Yeah. So cognitively. Develop- yeah. And age of first use is a huge predictor for the development of a substance use disorder in, in adulthood. So what is the high school called in Las Vegas again? Mission High School. So you were... Uh, involved in getting that started here? Yes, I am. Bill is one of the founders. Okay. Me, Jeff Horn, and Don Jersey. So you watch these documentaries, you kind of get this spark? Yes. And where did you go from there? I had, how did you get this I was, off the ground? Well, it's a neat story. I mean, every story is like yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. That's why we're here. Crazy what, <laughs> what, what, what happened. I was, I was a member of a, there's a national nonprofit called Facing Addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, is I that was, an acronym as well? Facing addiction. Think, facing addiction. No, but mm-hmm. they they just joined and merged with NCADD. Oh, know? the national, yeah. So they just merged with them. But facing addiction was a five hundred one c three national nonprofit that was trying to to unify the collective voices. And this is Greg Williams again, the guy who did the you know who did an honest people and generation found. This guy is just bl- blowing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, facing addiction. His the co-founder of that guy of that is a guy named Jim Hood who lost his son. They have they have some money behind them, and they, they in 2015 they did a um, United to Face Addiction rally, and that's how they launched. Uh, um, they, they they did a concert recently on the Washington Mall with 10,000 people in attendance. They had Stephen Tyler, Cheryl Crow, and then they had people in between. Surgeon the Surgeon General would come up and talk. The Surgeon General, mm-hmm. um, I mean, very high big, big big name people. So what collectively what they're trying to do is they try to connect with all the 501c3 nonprofits that are in this world doing this kind of work and then and then to try to put them all under one umbrella. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a facing addiction action partner. And they've done a lot. They 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 helped put together the Surgeon General's report on um, addiction and, and alcoholism, which came out, which was to hope what what the Surgeon General report did for smoking was to hope that it would do that to opiate uh, and, and drugs and alcohol. Yes, you know. So how did that lead to... So I was on a phone call, a, a national phone call, and then they had talked about their initiatives, one, two, three, four, you know, and one of their one of their initiatives that they were working on is more implementation of the recovery high schools. And then so when it came time for an open forum for all of us on the line to start talking, I said, you know what, actually, I'm Joe Engel in Las Vegas and no hero in Ireland, and we actually have a meeting with the superintendent about, about converting one of his schools to a do a recovery high school. And then about 20 minutes later, you know, that, I made the announcement. And about 20 minutes later, my phone rang. Somebody who was li- listening in Colorado happened to be the executive director for the Association for Recovery Schools, which oh, was wow. the accrediting body mm-hmm. for recovery schools. So in order to be, you know, a recovery high school, you have to have an, an, an accrediting body. Um, so she calls me and I said, hey, and she's like, Joe, what's going on in Las Vegas? And I told her and she said, so we flew them out here. 
He's the executive director and the deputy director. And they gave us, a, and we put some people in the room. Um, and that's where I met Jeff Horn was, he was invited to the room. And Jeff Horn was the area superintendent at the time. And he was our inside guy. Um, and, and Don Jersey was, was another friend of mine. He was a old publisher for the Las Vegas Sun.com. And so what we, you know, so from there, we just knocked on every door. We, we, we knocked on Dean Titus's door. You know, we, we Were they receptive? Off. Absolutely, everybody. Yeah. That, that process happened really fast too, right? Like I, rem- I remember like over a summer kind of fast, right? Yeah, less than eight months. Right. Less than eight months before we got a 6-0 from mm-hmm. the, you know, six six yeses on the school board, like kind of school board of trustees. Cool. You know, and it's the first time in history that, you know, so, so we got the state of Nevada mm-hmm. to give us three licensed clinicians. You know, the school district gave us a school and the whole staff. And the city of Las Vegas gave us $100,000 for a beautification project. So we thought that was like a trifecta, yeah. city, state, and district, right. all on the same day, say this is a good idea. Which is remarkable, mm-hmm. too, because usually, based on my experience, it's been a little bit more of a challenge. Right. When you say recovery from drugs and alcohol, and people are like, meh. Let, let's put all the drug addicts in one school, right? Right. <laughs> We heard that from one or two of them, but and 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 we had said early on, between Jeff, Don, and myself, and we called ourselves the Three Amigos because mm-hmm. we were really tight knit, and and we had said early on, if it's God's will, we can't stop it, and if it's not, we can't force it. Mm-hmm. So we certainly believe that it's that it's uh, driven by some by something else. So that school was open. What year? It's twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Two almost two years now. So we run, There Is No Hero and Heroin runs the after-school program there, which is called the Alternative Peer Group. Mm-hmm. The Alternative Peer Group is basically going to fill up the afternoon day, the afternoon hours, weekends, and holidays. You know, we're, we're open. So we have a spot on-site at Mission High School. We have one of the portables. We have a couple of employees. The city gives us a couple of, you know, a couple of dollars so we can pay our employees to stay there. Um, and we, the recovery community, I mean, just, just, throw, just shows up there and, and we have 12 step meetings all the time. We have people bringing in fitness, art class, um, music. I mean, it, it's just an amazing opportunity for these kids to have, you know, to be surrounded by the recovery community. And you're doing all this while having a normal nine to five job. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Where do you, when do you have time to sleep and eat? I'm very, very lucky that my wife, my wife is a whole nother story. She's the CEO of the Las Vegas Rescue Mission. Mm-hmm. What is that? They, their their program is it's basically two city blocks and they have probably 200 people living there on site, homeless. They oh, wow. feed 400 to 500 people a day. They have a thrift store. Um, now it's Christmas time, so they have all of these toy drives, but they got families that live on site and mm-hmm. they have a Genesis program there, which is... Uh, what is a Genesis program? It's a recovery program, but okay. but it's Christian-based, so okay. the, you know that's just what they call it. Okay. So those are the people that are inpatient over there. So I'm very lucky to have, and fortunate to have a wife that understands you know, what, what it's like. That and she runs be, that thing over there. She's the CEO, top doc. Wow. <laughs> I'd like to talk to her. I'd like to get her in here. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So you're, you're doing all this with a nine-to-five job. Your wife's also helping people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a family of superheroes, it seems like. We, ha- we, we, we have a, a lot of work to do, and um, certainly uh, that's certainly our calling. Are your you know? kids still in, uh, Are your kids involved at all in anything that you do? Uh, absolutely. Or, you know, they, they, this, they were the biggest supporters for There's No Hero and Heroin for the longest time, and, and they, I'm just completely lucky to have the kids. And we have a blended family. Mm-hmm. So we say that we have bonus children. So I, I have, I have four sons, three are living, and I have two bonus children. So mm-hmm. we have a, we have a, I have a stepdaughter and a stepson, and mm-hmm. they're all roughly the same age, young twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just great. You know, my oldest son, my, my near oldest son now is is in recovery, living in sober living. My 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 middle son Shane has uh, moved out when he was eighteen and hasn't cost me a dime. So he's certainly <laughs> the favorite <laughs> for over seven years. He hasn't cost me a dime. Okay. And, the, and then my youngest has just moved into his fraternity house. Oh. Couple, He's the one that grew up fast. Ago. He's the one who grew up fast. Yeah, what was his name? Adam. Adam. And Adam is, is 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 now reliving his childhood and the fraternity house, no doubt. That's good. Wow. <laughs> it's a full, full life. Oh, I have a question. How can listeners or myself, too, support you and your mission? What can people do? I mean, even in Las Vegas or nationwide Volunteering at the Alternative Peer Group at, at the APG. Um, the address is 801 Veterans Memorial Drive. It's downtown. Um, 801 Veterans Memorial 
It's uh, Washington and Las Vegas Boulevard are the two major cross streets. Mission High School is the school, and the alternative peer group is run Monday through Friday, 3.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Um, Saturday is 9 to 2. And we're open on all all, all school holidays. So if they want to, they could help out by coming down and um, hanging out with these kids on, a, on you know, during, during Christmas break. Any last thoughts of somebody who's thinking about recovery, parents listening, they got kids and... Well, to parents, certainly you can reach out to me. My phone number. I don't. I'm sure there's a website. My my yeah, contact we'll, my contact information is, yeah, we'll is, is open for everybody. Um, I, I would encourage any mother or father if they having problems with their children to give me a call. I certainly can, can lend an an, an empathetic ear. Um, I found that best for me is is staying connected to other parents. Um, mm-hmm. For kids, you know, if you think you got a problem with drugs and alcohol, you probably do. If, if you think about it, you probably have it. So normal, non-alcoholic, non-addicted people just use it recreationally and they don't think. So if you're a kid and you think that you might have a problem, you probably do. Please reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. Please reach out to someone who you trust. Thank you. This was That's lovely. a great interview. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks any, for being here. Any any other things you want to throw out there? The Black, 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 Black Monday, Monday. Uh, twenty. 2019 is going to be at UNLV Student Ballroom. It's the biggest venue we've ever had. We have a... It's pretty big here. We have... February 11th. February 11th, 2019. UNLV. Um, UNLV. We sure could use you. We we need bodies and chairs. Bodies Uh, and seats. Done. You have a... Facebook, uh, Instagram, all yeah. that man. I have all all social media. There's no heroin, mm-hmm. heroin um, on Instagram, Tin High Las Vegas on Facebook and Twitter. We'll put them in our show notes too. Yeah, same with the website dot com. I'm yeah. t- uh, info. Tin High Las Vegas dot info, and it's the old one. The new one should be up and running in a couple of weeks, but they can still get to the old one, which is okay. Well, thank you so much, Joseph. Thank, thank you very you. much for having me. Yeah, this was amazing. Right. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media: Goopla, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, subscribe and listen to us on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that good stuff. 